0: Om Bhadram Karnevi Srinuyama Deva Bhadram Pasye Makshabhirya Jatra Sthirai Rangai Stushtu Vagum Sastanubhihi Vyase Madheva Hiten Swastina Indro Vridha Swastina Pusha Vishwaveda. Svastin astharksyo Swasti Svastin obrihas Om shanti 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 Om, O gods, may we hear auspicious words with our ears While engaged in sacrifices, may we see auspicious things with our eyes While praising the gods with steady limbs May we enjoy a life that is beneficial to the gods. May Indra of ancient fame be auspicious to us. May the all-knowing Pusha, god of the earth, be propitious to us. May Garuda, the destroyer of evil, be well disposed towards us. May Brihaspati ensure our welfare. Om, peace, peace, peace. So... We are studying the Mundaka Upanishad. Last time we did mantras 223 and 224. If you remember, the beautiful metaphor of archery was used. So the mantras, very stirring, beautiful language. Uh, Dhanur-grihitva-upanishadam-mahastram upasa Nishitam sandha ita Tad Ayam-yatad-bhava-gate-naticheta-sa Laksham-ta-devaksharam-somya-viddhi The teacher addresses the student and says that take up the bow, this great bow of the Upanishads. The so Upanishads is compared to a bow. Um, and The uh, arrow, the arrow sharpened by meditation, purified, straightened, and sharpened, this arrow. What is the arrow? Place upon it the arrow. What is the arrow? You, the sentient being. I, we are the arrow. Aayamyatad bhava gatena chetasa. So, very dramatic language. Pull back the bowstring. Uh, That is, the mind which is Purified and sharpened, which is, uh, that means concentrated. Sharpened means concentrated and straightened means purified. Uh, And we studied last time, how do you do that? Straightening out is uh, removing the impurities of the the mind, especially through karma yoga, selflessness. Uh, Overcoming the impurity created by, Identifying so tightly with this particular body-mind that everything has to be done for I, me, myself and those which are mine, you know, my people, my property and mine. Go beyond that. Become selfless through karma yoga. And then through upasana, meditation, the importance of focus, of uh, of concentration. Bhavagate uh, na very beautiful phrase, immerse yourself in this Vedantic thought. And this way you draw the bowstring back. So drawing the bowstring back, we uh, if you remember, we said last time, it's the importance of withdrawing from too much engagement with externalities, with With people, with activities, with possessions, with the events of the world. And then Laksham Tadevakshanam Somya Viddhi. And so, hit, pierce that goal. What is that goal? Akshara, the imperishable. Brahman, nirguna Brahman. What do you mean pierce that goal? You become one with it. What do you mean become one with it? You realize that's what you truly are. You are not this little person of flesh and blood, born yesterday and destined to die tomorrow. Rather, you are the absolute reality of the entire universe. And you always were, you are that and you will continue to be that, choicelessly. It's not something that, You can accept or reject. You are that. When we realize that, that is hitting the target. That is when the arrow, the sentient being, becomes one with the target, Brahman. The arrow goes and hits and pierces the target. Similarly, we realize that we are Brahman. Then this is again um, expounded further in the fourth mantra. Pranavodhanu sharohyatma brahmatal lakshamutyate. Om is the bow. Upanishads, all of Upanishads is summarized in the mantra Om. Sharohyatma, the self, is the arrow. And brahmatal lakshamutyate, Brahman is the goal, is the target. Apramatenavidhavyam sharavattan mayo bhavet. Upamatte, without any error. So carefully, without any error, pierce that target, and Sharabat, like an arrow, becomes one with the target. You become one with Brahman. Means without any doubt, without any hesitation, without any, um, without any shakiness about it. It becomes absolutely clear to you, just as we are clear. I am clear. I am Sarva Priyananda now. It will take me very a lot of uh, effort to dissuade me that I am Sarva Priyaranda because I am so set in this identity. At least that much becomes set in the identity. You shift your identity from Sarva Priyanda identity to the witness consciousness. That witness consciousness is one with Brahman. That clarity should come. So, this is the famous metaphor of uh, uh, archery, a spiritual archery. Not actually shooting somebody full of arrows, but uh, spiritual archery where uh, this metaphor is used for the spiritual journey. Remember, the journey is not from the bow to some distant target. It is from um, oneself to oneself. This, uh, I think, uh, spiritual life, it is is defined as the flight of the uh, alone to the alone. Alone with a, a small A and to the alone with the capital A. The small A alone is us. And the capital A alone is Brahman or the ultimate reality. Um, so it's basically a movement from the sentient being to God. Here it is our own realization. So the journey in this is not from the bow to the you know, narrow flying through. It's not a journey in space. It's not a journey in time also. From now to then. Not a journey in space from here to there. Not a journey from an object also from me to something else. No. It is a journey which is from ignorance to knowledge. Right here, right now, you yourself. From ignorance about yourself to the knowledge about yourself. And of course, knowledge means the realization. A very living realization. Not a theoretical or just conceptual knowledge. All right. So this is what we have done. And now moving on. uh, Mantra number five. So the next mantra five, six, seven, they all mean the same thing. But very beautiful, stirring language, the ultimate reality. They're teaching you all of them basically are, you can put it this way, they are all Mahavakya. Mahavakya, the great sentence, that thou art, you are that. I am Brahman. This teaching the central teaching of the Upanishads is given here again and again in, in different ways, but very grand. Uh, this is the highest teaching being put to us in different ways. So let's see. Number five. Yasmin jau prithivi chantariksham riksham otam manasaha Know that self alone, that is without a second. This is a translation from Gambhirananji. Know that self alone, that which is without a second, on which are strung heaven, the earth and the interspace, the mind and the vital forces along with all other organs and give up all of the talk. Give up all of that talk. This is the bridge leading to immortality. The bridge to immortality. Amritasya Setu. Very wonderful phrases are used here. They have become part of our language, not just Sanskrit, but other languages also ever since, from the last thousands of years. Um, the bridge to immortality. So, what has been said here? Yasmin Dhyo Priti Ve Otham. In which the sky, the earth, the space in between heaven and earth, that means basically all of this universe. It's set, but a very beautiful word is used. Otham. Otham and Protham, the, these words are means mean the warp and the woof. Uh, you see, when you weave a cloth, you weave it this way and that way. They're called the warp and the woof. Basically, the The essence of it. The very structure of it. What is the cloth? It's basically thread. Which is woven in this way. And in this way. Warp and woof. This is in Sanskrit called Otham prosam." Now, what is being said here is the vast visible universe which we are which we see around us. This world and the sky with its Planets and stars and God knows um, how many uh, galaxies upon galaxies. This tremendous universe. The Upanishad is telling us there is an even more tremendous truth. There is something even more fundamental, greater than this universe. In which the universe is woven. It's not like, you know, there is, suppose there is my hand. And my book, and the book is placed on the hand. It's not like that. It's rather a piece of, like a shirt or this this sweater, which is woven. Every bit of it is that thread. That thread is it. It is woven in the warp and the woof. It's literally that. So there is an ultimate truth, which you are, you are seeing it as the universe. What we are seeing as this sweater, that the truth of it is the thread. And where is that thread? It is the very warp and woof of this uh, of the sweater. There is something which is the warp and woof of this physical universe, of everything in the universe. The whole universe is set in it. More than set, it's an even more dramatic word than set. It is the warp and the woof of this universe. What is that? It is existence itself, being itself. Everywhere, just as every bit of this sweater, you can see the warp and the woof, the thread. Similarly, everywhere in this universe, whatever we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, whatever our instruments can detect in the farthest reaches of the universe, there is being, existence. Look at the table, it is, and the computer, it is, and the, um, the man, the woman, it is, the sky above us, it is, even empty space is. Everywhere we find existence. Just as in all uh, pottery, clay pottery, we'll find clay through and through. In all golden ornaments, we'll find gold through and through. Uh, In all waves, we'll find water through and through. Similarly, the entire universe, we find existence through and through. So this, in which the entire universe is set, but this existence, uh, it is... uh, It has to be appreciated properly what it is. It sounds very abstract. It sounds like a theory. Uh, There are philosophers who will dismiss it as a play on words. You know, you say that um, man uh, exists, woman exists, uh, space exists, sky exists, earth exists, um, animals exist. And so you take exist out just like, uh, you know, clay of uh, the pot pot or gold of the ornament. Well, that's not a valid point. And that's not a valid move. Existence, it's just a linguistic uh, ghost which is coming out because of our language. No, from a Vedantic perspective, it's just the opposite. The objects which we consider to be so real, the table and the chair and the computer and and the man and the woman and the uh, earth and the sky, these objects are actually conceptual compared to the existence itself. According to Vedanta, we know what are these objects? What is this entire universe? It's just name and form uh, on, on existence. Like a movie. Movie is so many pictures. It's just light and shape on the reality of the screen. Similarly, in this vast canvas of existence, the universe is like a painting. Like the vast wall of existence the universe is like a wall painting on it this is actually an example which has been used in the scriptures in the text another beautiful example is in a vast lake you will see the um, the trees on the bank of the lake they're all reflected in it suppose there is a mountain and there are forests and there's a sky above and you see a vast tranquil lake clear water when you look into the water of the lake which is still you what will you see you will see a forest inside, inverted. It's a reflection. You will see the mountain. You will see the sky. But in that water, what is there? Is there a forest there? No. Is there a mountain there? No. Is there a sky with birds flying around inside the lake? No, not at all. It's a reflection. So similarly, you might at that point say, Yeah, wait a minute, because there is a real mountain and a sky and forest, that's why this reflection is appearing. But he, the example is, uh, only one part of the example has to be taken. No example is perfect. The example is just meant to illustrate one point. In Sri Krishna is to say, upama and An example is meant to illustrate one point. Just as in that clear, tranquil water of the vast lake, there is just water, even though an entire world appears there. Similarly, in the vast, tranquil lake of existence, There is just existence, even though an entire universe appears in it. So this is the meaning of all of this is in the word Otham. It is woven, the warp and woof of this universe is existence itself. And then, dramatic, the next phrase, Manasa pranishcha Sarve. That same thing is there behind the mind and the sense organs and the body, you know, the five organs, sense organs, the five motor organs, and the mind and the intellect uh, and the physical body. The physical body, mind, intellect, what is at the core of this? What is the, the, you know, what does it circle around? The self, you, this body, this mind, these sense organs, eyes and ears, what are they all gathered around? What do what is the core of this? It is the self. It is I. I I reside here. This is my body. These are my eyes and ears. This is these are my hands and feet. This is my tongue with which I am speaking. All of this is like a constellation in the center of which I am the self. And what is this mantra telling me? A tremendous statement. Tameva ekam. They are one. That vast, that existence, vast lake of existence in which is woven this entire universe, that one being, Sat. And this one sentient being at the core of this constellation of body, mind, and sense organs, you know, the Annamaya, Pranamaya, Manomaya, Vijnanamaya, uh, Anandamaya, the physical sheath, the vital sheath, the mental sheath, the intellect sheath, and the causal sheath. What's there? The conscious being, you the sentient being. This conscious being, at the heart, at the core of one individual being, and that one limitless existence, they are one. Tattvamasi, that you are, that one vast existence is what you, you, the sentient being. But remember the way it has been phrased, it's not saying that you, Sarva priyananda you are the universe, you are the earth and this. No. What we call Sarva Priyananda, the individual being, is consciousness limited by a mind, a a set of organs and one particular body. But other than that, this consciousness is separate. The way it is phrased is, that which is, which has this mind and the body and the senses, that one, that means that is separate from the mind and the body and the senses. And when the universe is described, it's not talking about the universe, it's talking about that in which the universe is set, Otham, in that which is the warp and the woof of this universe, that which is the warp and the woof of the universe, and that which is the one consciousness behind your five sheets, your body-mind, that consciousness and that existence are one reality. Asi. That is why we can say, Aham Brahmasmi. It is that one consciousness, with Maya, which becomes Saguna Brahman or Ishwara or God, the reality of this universe, the reality behind this universe. And it is that one consciousness with a jnana or one spark of ignorance which resides in every one of these bodies and minds, which becomes the jiva, sentient being. Two technical terms I've used, jiva, sentient being. What is the jiva? Consciousness limited by a mind and a body. Minds are different, bodies are different. Minds are limited, bodies are limited. But apart from the mind and body, the consciousness is not limited, is limitless. And on the other hand, this uh, what you find in this entire universe is one background existence, Sat. These two are one. Sagunda Brahman, Ishwara, or, or in English, God, and Jiva, um, in English, the sentient being. They are one, but how are they one? Remember, God God and the individual being can never be one. The ocean and the wave can never be one. But both the ocean and the wave are that underlying water. Actually, if you see what water is, then there is neither wave nor ocean. Wave and ocean are both the individual and total manifestations of that water. Similarly, God and sentient beings are the total and individual manifestations of that one underlying existence consciousness please. Now this will make sense. That absolute existence in which the heaven and the earth and the interspaces are woven and that one which exists in and through this mind and body and intellect and senses it's not talking about the mind, body, intellect, senses. You have to first deny those. You have to sing like Shankaracharya. Naham. I am not the mind, not the intellect, not the senses, not the memory, not even the ego. That pure witness consciousness, that awareness itself. Tameva ekam. Janata, know them to be one. Know that thou art. Tattvamasi. Aham So how you know that and all? We have studied in detail all of what we studied in Vedanta Sāra. The meaning of the Mahāvākya and the entirety of Vedanta Sāra. All packed into this one poetic uh, mantra. Tameva ekam jānatha. Know that. And what is that one? You know it as ātmanam, as a self, as I. Right now we do know the self. But how? what do we know? Quite imperfectly, quite darkly, as this limited being. I am Sarvapriyananda. I, this body. I, this person. I, Sarvapriyananda. That's what I know about the self. He's telling us, you know that self as that one existence in which the universe is woven, that one witness consciousness behind this body-mind, which illumines this body-mind. Tamayevayekam Janata, Realize that. How will you realize that? The whole process of, first of all, you start with yourself and try to see in what sense you are not the body, in what sense you are not the senses, in what sense you are not the, how you are not the mind, how you are the witness of the mind and the senses and the body. You start with that. Um, and, anya vacho vimunchata, give up all, other, literally it means give up all other the talk. This is an interesting thing. What do you do first? First, you study the Vedanta. Shravana. and you reason it out. Janatha, you know it. How do you know it? First of all, you listen to the teachings, study the teachings over and over again till the teachings are absolutely clear to you. Uh, and every doubt, every possible question is is uh, thrashed out. you uh, extract the truth from it, get clarity. Once this clarity is attained, then what do you do? You sit with that clarity. Anya vacha vimunchata. Give up everything else. There's a technical meaning for it, of course. The technical meaning for it is give up apara vidya, the lower Vidya. Remember, we go back to the beginning of this Upanishad. What is that knowledge by knowing which I can know everything? The student asks the teacher, Sir, what is that by knowing which I can know everything? And the teacher said there are two kinds of knowledge. Paravidya, Aparavidya. The higher knowledge and the lower knowledge. And the lower knowledge basically comprised everything else. Yeah. All our secular knowledge. And all so called religious knowledge also. The higher knowledge is only the knowledge of the, that Akshara. Yeah. By knowing which you will know everything. Another way of putting it is, by knowing yourself you will know everything. By knowing yourself you will know everything. What is everything? That existence in which... What is everything? Everything is the universe. Let's start there. How will you know the universe? Everything in the universe? That in which the universe is woven as warp and woof. That which is the warp and the woof of the universe. That one existence. Okay. How will you know that one existence? That also seems very abstract. But that one existence is you. But not the body-mind. When you investigate yourself, you realize this. What I thought about myself is just a construct. And it appeared to me the consciousness which can neither be in Sanskrit, neither heya upadeya which can neither be accepted nor rejected, which is, which, is, which is obviously there all the time, our very being. So by knowing yourself, you know the Akshara. By knowing the Akshara, you know everything. Or starting from the other end, sir, what is that knowledge by knowing which I can know everything? Um, the knowledge is you can know everything by knowing one thing which is, what is that one thing? Akshara. How do I know that one thing? You have to know yourself. You have to know yourself. This is the answer which is drilled down to. However, to know that oneself one must now set aside Aparavidya. One must put it aside. Even the Upanishad, even Vedanta you have to put it aside now. Once total clarity has been attained and stay with it in Vedantic meditation, Nididhyasara. Sri Ramakrishna put it this way, that uh, a man had to buy something from the from the village market. And he had a list, like a to-do list, a shopping list. And he forgot where the shopping list was. He hunted for it desperately till he found it. And he found it in the shopping list. You have to find, you have to purchase a towel, Gamcha in Bengali. And you have to purchase so much of Mishti, that means sweets in Bengali. And such and such things. Now he knows the list. Now he can toss it apart and toss it away and go and actually do what has to be done. Similarly, the Upanishad says, Anyo vachya Vimunchata. Set aside every other kind of talk, All other texts. All other avenues of inquiry. Even the um, study of the scriptures. Set is set it aside. Stay with the clarity that you have got. Why? Amritasya shasito. This is the um, this is the bridge to immortality. The bridge to immortality. What will happen when you realize who you are? You will realize that um, this one being in which the entire universe is wo- woven, or or. Which, which is uh, the warp and the woof of this universe. Which is my innermost self. This is ever free from birth and death. It was never born. Bodies were born and bodies died. It never came and went. It is the subtle body which went to heaven and hell and earth came and went. I was always unborn undying. You realize this. Hence you go into immortality. go into immortality you realize you are already existing immortality. This is the bridge. What is the bridge to this immortality? Vedanta. Shavana, what is made of? Shavana manana of hearing, of reflecting and then staying with the clarity gained from hearing and reflecting. Very beautiful. Mm. So I have written in my book here the notes. This is how I used to study. You can see uh, the notes i've made here it says the first phrase that in which the sky and the earth and the inner space are uh, woven i've written here brahman that's brahman that's the literal definition of brahman Yato imani bhutani that from which all these beings are born that in which all these beings exist that into which all these beings will disappear and they die so that is brahman then the next part i've written Manasaha pranishcha sarve, that which, which is surrounded by mind and senses and body, there I have written Atman, the self, our real nature. you know the identity of that as your own self. Then Anya vimunchata, giving up all of the talk, I have written here Jnana nishta, so Jnana Nishtha means the advanced student of Vedanta. What kind of life are you supposed to lead now? Life of Jnana Nishta. Nishtha means dedication, um, being centered in the knowledge that is gained. Make it your reality. Think upon it, work it out, meditate upon it and live it think it speak it live it vivekananda said um tell yourself again and again soham i am that i am that till it tingles with every drop of your blood so it's not positive affirmation by the way you're not telling yourself i am brahman i am brahman no 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 not like a mantra it has to be seen you have to you have to you have to see it as a fact and then stay with that fact Amritasya This is the bridge to immortality. atmagyan. What is the bridge? This knowledge of the atman. Amritasya. So what is this Amritat. Moksha. Liberation. Liberation from the cycle of birth and death. Moksha praptai setu riva Like a bridge. Of course it isn't a bridge. It's like a bridge. Then Shankaracharya waxes poetic. He says, Samsara Mahodadehe Uttarana Hetuttva So, because it's like a bridge which takes you across the vast ocean of Samsara. This is a um, metaphor which keeps coming again, our simile which keeps coming again and again in Vedanta. Uh, our Samsara is compared to an ocean, and Brahman is the far shore of that ocean which we cross over, or immortality is the far shore of the ocean. And what is the bridge which will help us to cross over? It is the knowledge of the self. Why the knowledge of the self? Because this self is the akshara. So, this akshara itself is uh, that in which the entire universe is woven. So, but that's what you asked. How do I know everything? What is that one thing by knowing which I know, know everything? See, it is connected to the very beginning of the Upanishad. He is still answering that question. In a more practical way, often many uh, our senior swamis would advise us, they would often quote this, vimunchata. set aside everything when they if they see any younger monk or novice reading too many things, science and politics and history and this and that, vimunchata. set aside everything else. Uh, you're To become a Vedantin, you don't have to read loads and loads of books. You have to uh, focus on this Vedantic knowledge. I remember one of our masters once in class told us that uh, you don't read. I mean, he was scolding us. novices. says you are you flip, <laughs> you flip through pages. Um, and then he said, if you want to see how one should study Vedanta, even read, he would tell us. He told us to go and see one a very senior monk ji. Literally it means the one who is, uh, I mean that's not exactly the meaning but anyway the general meaning will be this is the uh, one whose delight is in spiritual teaching. <laughs> he was one of the masters of the young monks at one time but when we became brahmacharis, he was already very elderly and he was uh, in the uh, in the uh, that section of the monastery called Bhavan, where old swamis who are too old too ill to uh, be active they'll reside there in their final days so whenever we would go to see him to see how one should study all the time i've ever seen him he would sit in this armchair an old kind of armchair he was very thin and always a very ascetic lean intellectual kind of face but glowing and he would always have the upanishads Or the Gita, open with him, with Shankara's commentary and studying. He would always study. And if we went and bowed down to him, we would look and he would bless us and then again go back to it. Now, it's not that he's reading some new stuff. He's been reading it for 60 or 70 years of his life. (laughs) He is not learning new things. He's not even studying new things. It's a reality which he is centered on. The text is just helping him to be. It's like if I were reading a, uh, you know, my identity card which says Sarvapriyananda and the Swami." Uh, if I read that, yes, it, what would it tell me? This I am. This for that Swami, the reading the Upanishads and the Shankaras commentaries like that. It's telling him about living reality, which he is and which the entire universe is. And he he uses the mind to as a meditation to remain centered there. This is called jnana nishtha, jnana nishtha. Nishtha means dedication or being centred in. And Vedantic monks, they're supposed to have this jnana nishtha. See, there are two words, shraddha and nishtha. It's an important point to note. Shraddha means faith, a deep reverence. So a deep reverence, a deep faith that these texts are profound, they contain the secret to the universe, they contain the answer to who am I, and they contain the answer to my questions that how can I overcome suffering, how can I get fulfillment. All these answers are here. This is Shraddha. Do you know this? No, you don't know it, but you believe it. You because of tradition, because of spiritual masters, because of um, your faith in religion. You believe that this I have on Vedanta. So that's Shraddha. That's belief, faith, reverence. Now, once you go through Vedanta, that Shraddha should become Nishta. What will happen? As we go through Vedanta, the Vedantic knowledge becomes, uh, you, you download it. You realize, oh, this is what they are saying. I am not the body-mind. I am this limitless uh, consciousness. And this limitless consciousness is basically the ground of the entire universe. I am Brahman. And it's not theoretical. I begin to see that. Once you begin to see it, what will happen to that initial Shraddha which propelled you through your search, spiritual search through the years? Will it disappear? Will your faith, will your reverence disappear? No, no, no. That Shraddha, that faith and reverence will now become Nishtha. These are wonderful Sanskrit words. Uh, Nishtha means um, that you are completely being dedicated to it. It's now a reality for you. No longer will you say, I believe in it or I have reverence for it. no. It has become my life basically. You have become centered in it. You have become steady in it. That steadiness, centeredness, dedication. These are the meanings of Nishtha. Nishtha, commitment. It becomes. So that Shraddha becomes Nishtha. That which was Shraddha for so many years. Faith and dedica- uh, faith and reverence. So many years of our spiritual life. Uh, in the advanced stage of Vedanta. That Shraddha continues as Nishtha. Now you know. You don't even have to say anyone that I believe. You know it now. But now it continues as Nishtha. That Nishtha is what is reflected in that old monk sitting all his life, reading the same old book. But its centeredness is the truth. Truth which is centered in. Sri Ramakrishna gave a very beautiful example. When he was in the Kali temple in Dakshineshwar, Many kinds of monks, many of them enlightened beings, used to pass through the grounds of the Kali temple. And one of them, he saw this monk who would sit under a tree and very devotedly read from a little book which he had. And Sri Ramakrishna was curious. What is it that he's reading so sincerely every day? So he went and saw a little book with handwritten. And then he saw what was written there all the pages and all of it was just Ram, 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 Ram. and the monk was carefully studying it. <laughs> so it is just one word throughout. Shankaracharya quotes here to explain how it is a bridge to immortality. Tamiyavividhito ati nanya pantha vidyate ayana. From Swetashvatara Upanishad, Shankaracharya quotes: Knowing that, one transcends death. There is no other way. So no science, technology, nothing else. No religious rituals. Nothing will take you across death. Nothing nothing will give you immortality except knowing who you are, what you are. Then let us move on to the next mantra. Remember, it is telling us the same thing in very beautiful different ways. Mantra number six. Araiva, Ratanabo, Sanghata, Yatranadiaha, Sayesho, and Tascharati, Bahudha, Jayamana, Omitivam, Dhyatatmanam, Swastiva, Para, Yatamasaparasta. Really nice language. Mantra number six. Within the heart, in which are fixed the nerves like the spokes on the hub of a chariot wheel, moves this aforesaid self by becoming multiformed. Meditate on the self, thus, with the help of Om. May you, may you be free from hindrances in going to the other shore beyond darkness. See, the end of it is such a beautiful blessing. The teacher is blessing you. Teacher is wishing you Godspeed, farewell. He's saying, Mm -hmm. may your journey across the uh, ocean of darkness to the luminous other shore, may this journey be smooth and free of trouble. May it be speedy and smooth and free of trouble. Uh, This is his prayer. And what is the journey? Beyond darkness, tamasav parastha, beyond the darkness of evil and sorrow and death and limitation, paraaya, to the other shore. What is the other shore? Brahman. What, what is that Brahman? It's you. It's a journey from yourself to yourself. <laughs> All right. Now, what is this mantra? Araiva, ratanabau sanghata, yatranadhyaya. So, by knowing myself, I will know the akshara. Yes. And by knowing the akshara, I will know everything. Yes. How do I know myself then? So you will find yourself in that place where all the nadis, the subtle nerves of the body, they all come and center in the heart. So this is the idea that ancient Indian physiology, a spiritual physiology, if you will. Just like it gives an example, like the spokes of the wheel of a chariot, they come and meet at the center. Similarly, in the heart, from the heart radiates all these nerves. Now, it's translated as nerves. The uh, the actual Sanskrit word is Nadi. And there are thousands of these subtle channels. Yogis uh, become aware of them. In Ayurveda also, there uh, was spoken of, uh, you know, uh, with uh, more details are there. So this is Nadi. And the idea why it is important for us is speaking about the mind. The heart here means the mind, the cave of the heart. Physically, the heart, physically, the naris. More one step higher, what the heart means is the mind. Shankaracharya says, Buddhi guha. is the Buddhi guha, the cave of the intellect. In the mind, in the intellect, what shines in the darkness of that cave? What illumines? So, in a cave, it's dark. And to see what is inside the cave, you need light. So in the cave of the mind, in the cave of the uh, intellect, all these ideas and thoughts and emotions and memories and perceptions, how do you know them? How do we experience our own thoughts and feelings and emotions? We never think about that. It's because of the light of consciousness which shines in the cave of the heart. That is the cave of the mind or the cave of the intellect. So in the heart is equal to in the mind. Is equal to consciousness. What is that? saisho That akshara. That brahman. Which is the ground of the universe. In which the universe is woven. It's like the warp and woof of the universe. That one is in the cave of the heart. Surrounded by the thousands of naris. Now actually it is not in the cave of the heart. Because it's the only reality that is. As if in order to help us to practice. As if. It's not the body. It's not the prana. It's not the mind. It's not the intellect. It is that which shines and illumines the contents of the intellect, mind and prana and all. That consciousness. Antascharate. That which moves within your mind. What moves within the mind? Consciousness is so Swami. Does consciousness move? Again, Shankaracharya will explain. As if moves. As if moves. Mm-hmm. How? Bahudha jayamana, being born, born in many ways, being uh, appearing in many ways. What appears in many ways? Consciousness itself. In all our conscious experiences, Shankaracharya gives examples. He says, "Lokika, Rishto jata, kudho jata, become delighted. He became very angry, became irritated, delighted, angry, irritated. I understand. I remember. Can't understand. I forget." All of these experiences, I see, hear, smell, taste, touch. I am furious, I am peaceful, I am meditative, I am curious, I am bored. All of these experiences, continuous stream of experiences. It is that consciousness alone with the associated mental vrittis, which is appearing in all these ways. Those mental vrittis are like the cave. They are all illuminated by one consciousness. What keeps changing are the vrittis of the mind thoughts in the mind memories in the mind perceptions in the mind they keep changing they keep flashing coming and going apparently it seems consciousness is moving consciousness is changing so this is the state of consciousness studies in uh, at, at at right now what is the state of consciousness studies in consciousness studies uh, what do they study these the, the chittavritti thoughts emotions uh, memories uh, perceptions sense of ego this is what we are studying and these are continuously they are changing. And what are what is being studied? Why is there this first person experience of everything? When Vedanta tells you, it is that one which appears to move through all the movements of the mind and the senses. But it does not move. It only illumines all these movements. That one consciousness apart from the senses, apart from the mind, apart from the perceptions is that which lights up the perceptions, the senses and the mind. So that one consciousness, distinguished from the mind and the intellect and the prana and the body, distinguished pancha-kosha-vilakshana-atma. So Sanskrit is very compact and powerful. The witness consciousness distinct from the five sheets of the human personality. What are the five sheets? Physical body, annamaya-kosha. The pranic body, um, the the pranamaya-kosha. The mental body, that means mind, manomaya-kosha. The intellect, which we are using right now, which is Maya Kosha. And beyond that, what we experience in deep sleep, Anandamaya Kosha. Distinct from all five, illumining all five, illumining their changes, their variations, is one consciousness. That is called Pancha Kosha Vilakshana Atma. The Atma, the self, which is distinct. Um, another way of looking at it is this one. The Chin Mudra. This shows Vedantic knowledge, this one. This is a chit mudra. Chit means consciousness. The mudra which shows you uh, the, uh, this consciousness. What is that? So when you do this, you, the ego, the sense of I, this is ego associated with um, with the physical body, with, with the you know three bodies. stula, sukshma, karana, sharira. stula, physical body. Sukshma, the subtle body. Karana is the causal body. Each bigger and more powerful than the other. The physical body is actually the smallest. <laughs> More than that is the sukshma sharira, subtle body. More than that is the causal body. And the ego, which is of course part of it, um, but it we, we, the sentient being, we have identified ourselves with these three. This is our normal state. What does Vedanta do? It dissociates you from these three and shows you that you are the Atman. This is the meaning. Aham Brahmasmi. I am... Not the body, not the mind, not even the causal bodies. Thula, Sukshma, Karana, Traya, Deha, Vilakshana. Distinct from the three bodies. I am the pure consciousness. This is the meaning of the Chin Mudra. However, one more step forward. So this is distinct and then what are these three then? What are these three? What are these bodies? What are the five sheets? What are the three bodies? They are also nothing other than this pure consciousness. They appear in those ways. And not knowing the pure consciousness we get associated with the three bodies. But knowing the pure consciousness we know that I am this pure consciousness and these three bodies I am the warp and the woof of these three bodies. They are nothing other than me. But I am distinct from them. Then what do you do? Om ityevam dhyayatha atmanam Practice this, this, this uh, analysis. How do you practice it? Om So, we know the whole analysis. A, U, Ma. Uh, A is the uh, physical body. Then U is the subtle body. Ma is the causal body. Om. And the, the silence beyond Om is this. So, I am not these three, but I am this. Om. And we'll chant it. Of course, those who have studied Mandukya, they know the full depth of what Om means. Uh, the waking world and the waker, the dream world and the dreamer, and the deep sleep world and the deep sleeper, uh, the fourth one, which is underlying and in and through all three, they are the gross, subtle, and causal states. In and through all of them is one consciousness. That is the fourth one, so called Turiya. All of this is the meaning of Om. Use Om for this meditation. Chant Om. By the way, one. Point here, practical point. One might be thinking when Vedantins, monks, or Vedantic practitioners, when they sit and meditate with the help of Om, are they going through this kind of discursive thinking? I'm not the physical body, I'm not the subtle body, I'm not the. They might initially, but when you're chanting Om, you're just chanting Om. For you know, Om stands for this one existence consciousness, please. So, the chanting of Om can be done. What is actually meant here is not this analytical thinking. The chanting of the Om, knowing it to be this pure consciousness or Akshara. So, we chant it. You can do it uh, expressly with a low chant, you know, Om. You chant it. You're supposed to chant it for 108 times or 1008 times. uh, And it helps you to become centered in your nature as. Brahman, that I am Brahman. You can chant it for even shorter times. Like I found it easier to do 11 times or 21 times and then sit quietly in the silence. So the Om will first of all silence, sit quietly with the body steady, with the breathing even, and then actually chant Om. Don't do it too loudly, it'll annoy people around you. So you can do it actually so that you can hear it, the sound Om. I found it easier if you do 11 times, 21 times and then stop for a minute or so and stay in the silence. What will you do with the silence? The, I am the witness of this silence. I'm not even the silence. I have silenced the physical body. I have silenced the subtle body, silenced the causal body. I am the witness of this silence. Don't try to discover the witness. You will never discover the witness. You try to discover the witness, the mind will start working again. So, remain as that. And of course, it won't stay for long. You start the Om again 11 times, 21 times. Or if you can, 108 times. It will really quieten the mind. The Panchadashi says, Dirga Pranavau Prolonged chanting of Omkar. All this discursive thinking, this um, analysis has been done earlier. So, that is already taken for granted. We understand what Vedanta is. Then only this Om will become extra powerful. Okay. Um, let me stop here. The same thing will go on. More beautiful and powerful mantras are coming up. Let's take a couple of questions before we stop. Priram says, um, Does this verse have the same meaning as idam sarvam, I am all this? Yes. Is this a thinking useful affirmation for sadhana? Yes. But remember, in Advaita Vedanta, we are not doing affirmations. If you sit and say, "I am Brahman, I am Brahman," which is it's not bad; it's a good thing. I am not the body; I am the Atman. But you must see for yourself. See, there's a difference between knowing something and affirming something. I may sit and chant all day long, "Shivoham, Shivoham, Shivoham," which is good. It's good for the mind; it elevates you. But that's not the same thing as Vedanta. Vedanta is like. Suppose I, I just now I sit and chant. I'm sitting on the chair, I'm sitting on the chair, I'm sitting on the chair. Now this is a fact. I don't have to affirm it. I'm just repeating a fact. Vedanta, I am the witness consciousness. Ahame Vaidam Sarvam, I indeed am all of this. It should be a fact for me. But you says, why? Well, it's not a fact. If you think it's not a fact, go back. Let's begin from the <laughs> Upanishads and Vedanta Sara and Drigsha Vivek until one begins to understand what is being said. When, you under, when we understand what is being said, it's no longer an affirmation. It's uh, staying with the fact. Peter says, we are existence, trees are existence, etc. We go up to space and it is existence. Humanity was to disappear in the tree and forest turned to ashes. Existence remains is essentially who we are. Is this correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. I direct your attention. Not only Peter, but anybody else who's interested in this kind of thinking to the 16th verse of the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. Nāsato vidyate bhavo, nābhavo vidyate satha. Extensive commentary by Shankaracharya, where he says exactly what Peter has just said now. Existence is everywhere. It continues even when the name cell forms are destroyed. If the pot is destroyed, in the destroyed pot, the destroyed pot exists, the pot, pot sherds, broken pottery exists. Well, if all pots are destroyed, well, then the cloth exists in Sanskrit, they rhyme well. Pato, pata means cloth, ghata means pot. So ghata pot may be destroyed, Pata, cloth is still there. Now the immediate the question which will come after this, you can see where this is going. Suppose everything is destroyed, so you are having a good time saying that, Table exists, chair exists, man exists, woman exists, sky exists, earth exists. Suppose everything is destroyed. Maha pralaya, cosmic dissolution, Nothing remains. Then what happens to your precious existence? Then you, Shankaracharya explains that existence still remains, but it's not manifest. Of course, there's nobody to experience that existence and no way to manifest that existence. It's only when names and forms come into being, existence is manifested. So, here's the question. What does existence, Brahman, Akshara, do for the universe? And what does the universe do for Brahman or Akshara or existence? What existence or Brahman or Akshara does for the universe is, it gives it existence. Without that Brahman, it, won't, it would not exist. The universe would not exist. It would not come into being. And what does this universe of names and forms, all of this, what does it do for existence? It manifests that existence. So we now begin to feel we could begin to feel that, yes, this is it. Here is Brahman. There was a great um, spiritual master in Kerala about um, 60, 70 years ago, Krishna Menon, Atmanand Krishna Menon. He wrote the disappointment of the Atman, the disappointment of the Atman, or disappointment of Brahman. Brahman is, as if Brahman is thinking, disappointed. I manifested thoughts and bodies. And the worlds, and the stars, and planets and trees, and so that I would become evident to myself. But these sentient beings who are who, who are actually me, nothing other than me, they have completely identified with what is manifested. This body, this mind, and the, and the causal body, the three bodies, you know, they've become like this. They become attached to this one. That was not the point of this entire manifestation. The point of the manifestation was you being. Pure being, existence, consciousness, please. In order to like seeing yourself in the mirror. You have manifested yourself as this mirror. So now you can see your face. You can experience yourself in your unlimited nature. How? In the mirror of, of the universe. How? In everywhere, in every experience you see yourself. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. He says, as in every movement of the mind, in every thought, in every memory, in every suffering, in every joy, you see yourself flashing forth. Just like in every mirror, you see your own face. That should have been the purpose. The Atman, this is Krishna Menon, he's saying, the disappointment of the Atman. Atman said, I wanted this to happen so that I can see, I can enjoy my limitlessness in this magnificent mirror of the universe. But what has happened is, I, manifesting through this body-mind, have become attached to the body-mind and totally forgotten myself. And now I am suffering. And now I have to go through, in order to recover myself, I have to go through these endless Vedanta classes and read so many books and attend classes. So the disappointment of the Atman, disappointment of the Atman, Sonali gives a nice uh, play on the word alone. It's a journey from alone to alone or all one. <laughs> alone is all one. She introduces one more L. Rajendra Parikh says, if existence is woven into the experienced universe, why is not a manifestation? How is it an illusion? How the name and form is not a real manifestation? So when you say manifestation, real manifestation, is becomes more of a question of words really. Uh, what do you mean by a real manifestation, unreal manifestation? When you say existence is the reality, in that case, anything other than existence becomes unreal. You have to compare it with what we consider to be real now. What do we consider to be real now? We consider tables and chairs and human beings and planets and stars to be real. And Vedanta is telling us, what you are considering to be real is actually an appearance of an underlying reality. What is that underlying reality? Existence or consciousness. Hmm. It's like saying the sweater is a manifestation of the threads. It is warp and woof, it is woven. Now if you ask, is the sweater a real manifestation or illusionary manifestation? You can call it a real manifestation but always remembering the reality of the threads, not the sweater independently. That's all. Otherwise, if you say name and form is a real manifestation, would you say that then there are three things? Existence, name and form. No. Because existence, if it count existence, name and form, you cannot count separately. Ashish says, I am studying the Ashtabhakara, translated to Swami Nityasvarupan in chapter 15, the term pure intelligence is used. What does pure intelligence mean? It means pure consciousness or pure being. It's another word for pure consciousness. But pure consciousness is also used in some places. You'll we'll have to look at the original Sanskrit, but remember, whenever pure intelligence is used, it only means pure consciousness. So, I'm Vivekananda uses the word knowledge, but knowledge itself uses two words knowledge and knowledge itself. But knowledge itself means pure consciousness or this pure being. Priyanka, how essential is the first step of denying myself to be the body mind? Denying myself means, remember, it's not a deprivation. Uh, intellectually, it is easier to grasp that I could actually be everything, all bodies, minds, and though through the dream analogy. we trying to situate myself directly in step two without grasping the I of step one work. What issues could arise? Alright. Yes. So the step two, I am everything, that is actually the goal. Advaita Vedanta wants to say that. It doesn't want to say that I am separate from everything. It's not, be careful of when you do this. It's not that there is this physical body, subtle body, causal body. And something separate called pure consciousness. And then all they all exist like this. No. This is actually a teaching. This is a teaching in order to make you see what you truly are. And then you will see that these three are also that same one consciousness. So you are everything. You're in, fact, in fact, Brahman is this physical body also. After all, if that were not so, how would you satisfy the original question? What is that by knowing which I know everything? If Brahman were apart from everything then by knowing Brahman, you would know something apart from everything. But by knowing Brahman, you actually know everything because it is the reality of everything. So if I jump straight to the second step, I am everything. The thing is, how would you jump? If you you say, I am this body and mind and then I want to say, I am everything. Does it seem like that? As long as I am firmly set in this uh, body-mind identity, in that case, Everybody else, all of you. Let's see how many people are here. Um, 86 people are here. 85 or 86 people are here. So I am one and there are other 85 people here. I feel the are 85 are other than me. I can't say I am all of you. Because I am so firmly set in this body of mind. So I am there and there is an other. In order to say I am all this, I have to step back from this body and mind, find something more fundamental, from which perspective indeed I am all of it. That's the only purpose of step one. If the dream analogy works so powerfully for you, remember, how does the dream analogy work? I am everything in the dream. How does it work? Not directly. It only works by realizing this is a dream and I am the dreamer and the dreamer, I have become the person in the dream and everything that person experiences. But as the person in the dream, very difficult to jump to saying that I am all of it. What issues could arise? Issues would be that it might be a sentiment, it might be a nice sentiment to say, I am all of you. But um, would you be convinced of it? Would it be a fact? Srinivas Raju says, Gyananishtha is the same as Brahmanishtha. Yes, Gyananishtha and Brahmanishtha are the same. Kiran says, Is the word otam equivalent to otam? Um, Yes, it is. Adhya the universe superimposed on Brahman, it uh, becomes equivalent to that. Not literally equal. Otham means the warp and the woof, and adhyarupa being superimposed, but basically it translates into that. Rick says, i an ongoing debate with an atheist friend. His position on the what-to-be-based assumption that the person's subjective experience of non-duality is a realization of objective reality, rather than an experience of their own personal mental state." Uh, your comments. Uh, Before we go to a person's subjective experience of um, non-duality, let us see understanding. Advaita Vedanta works on our understanding. Advaita Vedanta is not trying to replace one experience with another experience. Here you are experiencing a world and you are experiencing yourself. Suddenly a new experience comes. It's all light or something like that. No, 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 not like that. If you do that, then this question would be valid. This question would be, All right, you felt like that, but why do you think it's real? Advaita Vedanta says, stay with what is real. Always stay with what is real. Work on what is real and you begin to get an understanding of what is real. After all, how does Advaita Vedanta proceed? It does not change a subjective experience. You know, I have a subjective experience of duality. Now I will have a subjective experience of non-duality. That's not Advaita Vedanta. In Advaita Vedanta, This subjective experience of duality can continue and the enlightened one will will affirm, looking at this world, which seems to be very dualistic, the enlightened one will affirm that this is a non-dual Brahman. This this one, here itself. Here is the non-dual Brahman. Looking at 10,000 waves, you can easily affirm, it's not 10,000 waves, it is one water, of which the 10,000 are an appearance. And it would not be a new subjective experience because you would be seeing those 10000 waves it's your understanding of those 10000 waves has changed and the other one who can who doubts this isn't it your subjective experience that one if he carefully if he or she carefully listens to the vedantic teaching will begin to see what is being said here it's not a question of a mental state it's a question of what is your, first of all, your understanding will be uh, flipped. In fact, this question, uh, it is devastating for mystics. Those who say, I experienced something, God or this, God appeared to me. They ask this, how do you know it's it's just your mental state? How do you know you're experiencing a reality, not just some subjective experience? That is difficult to answer from a mystical perspective. Because it's only a private experience which you are having. No matter how elevating and sublime. But Advaita is not at all like that. Advaita can answer every question. Um, I mean, it just the other person is called upon to understand. Not to change experiences. Uh, Mary says, Flipping through pages, One comes across something to contemplate that you need. I have found. That's true. Sonali says, staying with the clarity, reading it again and again, jnana nishtha, preconditions from body mind identity, and it's related to samsk- related samskaras to correct. Uh, that is called nididhyasana. Um, staying with it, jnana nishtha, this nididhyasana, it um, changes the samskaras. V. Srinivas Raju says, Nishtha is devotion to knowledge, a higher, deeper level of bhakti. Correct? If you can look at it that way. Sangeeta says, could you please comment on what is different about old Ramakrishna monk Darugya Bhavan seen reading Shankara abhashya by the monk in Thakur story reading just Rama Rama. I think the reading just Rama Rama is an even more advanced stage of that. Because that is just reminding that monk of a reality. But for the, for the monk, Rama is a reality. And so those words are reminding. One step below that, it would be a practice. Deepa and Krishna and they say, the hub and the spoke examples brought up in Kathopanisha. Yes. Abhijit says, Ramana Maharshi called the self as the heart. He's written a verse to English. kevalam brahma Matram. Right. So Ramana Maharshi goes even one step fu- further. So here the heart starts with the physical center of the body and there's a spiritual heart. Then um, the mind, in the mind, there is the um, consciousness shining. And Ramana Maharshi says that consciousness, that Atman itself is the heart. He, go, he gives an even deeper interpretation of heart. Does Om need to be read out aloud? Uh, need to be allowed? It can be done silently, but initially it should do it uh, aloud. Allowed means Not to the extent of annoying everybody else in the room. I mean, around you. Just enough so that you can physically hear it. All right. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Shri Rama Krishna Namastu.